Beef and Bites Podcast is the perfect wrestling podcast. There's a guy named Hal and there's Danielle and this guy Mike Eagle is there as well. Tights and Bites Podcast. Tights and Tights and Fights, the show that discusses wrestling with the sincerity and hilarity that it deserves. I'm Hal, a little bit of the lovely. <laughs> Thank you to Robert Berglund on the Facebook group for that one. That's a good one. And I'm joined today by my fellow members of the Nation of Conversation, Hurt Heel and Hair, Danielle Radford. Thank you very much. I got to shake this old wig off for Saturday. Make it look real clean. Make it all nice. The Saturday wig is coming out, everybody. That's right. <laughs> Fucking, I got I, it's the Emmys wig now. There it is. And the Underkelker. Lindsay Kelk. Did we do that one already? I don't know. We did that one already. I'm so tired. Yes. I should have said the UK badass version of the Underkelk. Yes, thank you. There we go. This is a UK badass version. I am an American badass now as well. So I'm a dual, is there a dual citizenship badass? Yes, yes. Take that, Mark. There's an international waters badass. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was going to make a joke and I won't. (laughs) And we have a special guest, wrestler, comedian, and actor, and wrestling raconteur, RJ City. Welcome to Tights and Fights, RJ. Thank you. Um, I I would like to start with a, with a small confession, if that's okay. Please mm-hmm. do it, uh, Lindsay. When you first followed me on Twitter, sometimes like I don't know, I tweet about politics and stuff sometimes. So sometimes very smart people follow me, intellectuals and things of that nature. So and I'm fun. like, you know, good for me. And you <laughs> you followed me, and then it's like, oh, I'm an author. You know, living in the States. I'm like, oh, that's so nice. And then I followed you back. And then I uh, discovered that you were a wrestling fan. Yeah, that, like, that's oh. that's how she gets you. And then you were <laughs> yeah. devastated that I was just tweeting about Shane McMahon's jeans. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's like, just is... just scum like the rest of us. <laughs> Not what I was looking for at all. <laughs> I apologize. I can try and improve my political content. I mean, Brexit's given me a lot to work with, so I will do my best for you. After the podcast, I'm desperately going to need you to explain literally what no, any of that means. fuck after the podcast. What the hell's going on over there, Kelk? Because um, all I see are clips of, like, men in robes going... Yeah, you just keep seeing that one clip of John Burke going, Oh, Deb, be a good boy! Which actually is the greatest thing to have ever happened in the Houses of Parliament. It's pretty fantastic. And then they'll cut to another dude who's dressed like Prince. I mean, I just feel like it's gone very wrestling. I think when your brother quits your faction. That's the best thing. I just think, you know, it's like Joe Johnson just took a hard face turn and Boris is not going to recover. I don't, I think this is not going to work out. It feels like we're in the last five minutes of an episode of Faulty Towers. But for for the last five years. Starts unraveling. Yeah, don't mention the war, except probably do, because now that feels like a good time. I don't know. Yes. Oh, it's the worst. Oh, the global stage. (laughs) It's all part of wrestling, folks. See, guys, we're smart. Yeah. RJ. Yes? Thank you for answering. So polite. What what is it like to be a triple threat as an entertainer? I think it's nice in the sense that my perspective allows me to understand that everything is as equally idiotic as the other thing. <laughs> yeah. So I thought, hey, I'm just going to do my same stupid shit no matter what I'm doing and see what happens. And so for listeners, how long have you been doing stand-up? 
Oh my God. I guess a couple years-ish now. I started doing it in high school and then I stopped doing it. So I'd maybe say like five or six years. Nice. Um, there was a comedian that was like a big wrestling fan. And then we basically had this weird freaky Friday job swap in Toronto where I started going to more comedy shows and he came to more wrestling. And then, and then I just, you know. I was like, oh, yeah, this is the same thing, only without the hitting. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's still, I'm also a stand-up comic. It still hurts as bad, I imagine. I've Look, I've never taken a bump. I don't have a bad, well, I took one. It was You two did a, get hit by a bus, I, though. Yeah, you put that so... bus over really, really fun, <laughs> I really yeah. put that bus over. Um, but, yeah, I do imagine, because it, it, there is nothing like making a joke and just a room full of people staring at you and blinking. Well, so there's advantages and there's disadvantages. The one <laughs> advantage uh, stand-up has over wrestling is... Uh, a stand-up comedian can actually be in worse shape before he gets on stage. <laughs> like, first of all, they don't have to change their clothes, which is amazing. They can dress as shitty as possible, and it's kind of part of the, like, oh, it's cool, I don't care, I'm just about my ideas. Ah, oh, man, just dudes with beards and hoodies. Yes, and then when I go to a wrestling show, like, I have to, I have to spray tan, I have to oil myself, I have to pump up and do all these fake exercises... But then I go to a comedy show and a stand-up just has like a, a beer and a pound of wings and then gets on stage burping. <laughs> That's fantastic. But I, I will say, if you're shitty at wrestling, you can at least turn it into some kind of fuck you reaction. <laughs> and it's kind of part of the show. Um, with stand-up, you're, you're kind of trying to be somewhat likable. Um, so if, if that fails, you're kind of fucked. So I find that a lot harder for me. To what extent and, and how, I guess, do you feel like each of them sort of enhances the other? Because it is, it is completely there. Well, not completely, but there are differences in how you're working a crowd as a, as a comedian versus a wrestler, depending on what you want to elicit from that crowd. But do you feel like they're each sort of informing the other? Yeah, I feel like wrestling, uh, especially on the indies, gets you ready for a, a raucous stand-up crowd. Like, the heckler in wrestling is part of the show. Mm -hmm. If there's no drunken heckler, I'd be like, I I'm doing something wrong here. No one's yelling anything at me. So after that, I'm, I'm very, I would say, prepared to handle people yelling during stand-up. Uh, go ahead, I heard you breathe. <laughs> I, that's just how anybody knows that I'm alive, RJ. For God's sakes. They put a mirror under my nose half the time in here. Good thing you don't breathe through your nose or else I would have no idea when you were about to speak. Yeah, exactly. No, yes. I, I refuse. I eat too much to breathe through my nose. Uh, and welcome to Honesty Corner. Yeah, welcome to Honesty Corner. Look, you want to talk about eating half a box of Cheez-Its at night? I mean, we can I do. do. I haven't do eaten it. in like 10 days. I'm so hungry. Yeah, we got shame-eating stories that will make you quiver and cry. I'm curious, RJ, mentally, your approach to to a match versus a stand-up set, where the similarities are. Staying on your fucking time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, holy shit. There's so much similar <laughs> stuff of like, uh, if your set is good, but you're supposed to go five minutes and you went 15, like you're, you're an asshole. Yes, you are. Uh, yeah. Whether you're a wrestler or a comedian or not, and you're just like ruining the entire show. It's not all about you. You're one part of a show. And it's also like, it's important to read the audience, obviously, if it's a family crowd or if it's a violence crowd or whatever, but it's also important to figure out 
what your particular strength is on that roster of wrestlers and on that roster of comedians. Mm-hmm. If that makes if that makes any sense. Sometimes no. I'm like, oh, like uh, usually by default, I'll end up being, I guess, the comedy match. Like if I'm if I'm wrestling Joey Ryan, there's certain things that are probably expected of me. Penis touching. Penis touching, and of course now penis singing. I sung to his penis the last time we wrestled, <laughs> and his penis sang back, and we had a duet. Which yeah, which was sweet and warming. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, if if he and I said, "Fuck it, we're gonna do serious chain for twenty minutes," I don't think we'd be helping out the show. Sounds like it's similar. Also, as you move up in either industry, you get more and more time, Mm -hmm. and maybe more leeway to to fill it as you see fit from an audience perspective because you've you've earned their trust. Would you say that's fair? Yes, and you also. You know, you start to develop things that work and things you can go back to. Like I was on a show with, uh, you guys know Colin Mockery from Whose Line Is It Anyway? Mm -hmm. Sure. And like, I'm obsessive, so I watch a lot of stuff. And it was so funny to see him go back to jokes I've seen him use before. And it kind of reminded me of like working Billy Gunn. And he's like, well, I'm just going to do the suck it spot because like, that's what works. People, I mean, look, you don't pay to see Billy Gunn without him uh, shaking his butt and doing some suckets. Right, of course. And that's a thing that I think wrestlers and uh, comedians, they, they feel like they have to do something new every time out, which isn't mm-hmm. necessarily true. Um, I would not uh, want to go see uh, Leonard Skinnerd and have the guy go, hey, this is a song I came up with on the way here. I'm not going to do Sweet Home Alabama at all. <laughs> Nobody likes those shows. Nobody right. likes those bands. No, I went yeah. to, oh, God, I don't remember who it was, um, but all they played was stuff off, like, their new album, and I was like, no, I want to hear Run to the Hills. Yeah. I came to hear Run to the Hills. <laughs> I don't want to hear about your last breakup. Play yeah. Run to the Hills. Yeah, you're a monster. <laughs> know your place. Do your thing. <laughs> Play it like it sounds on the album. <laughs> That's the yeah. song I like. I don't like the 19-minute solo you put in there. change. I don't like change. Grandpa doesn't want change. You play it like it's on the album, son. I love the reveal when you're live when you realize, oh, like the way they did it on the album is total bullshit, and there's no way they're capable of doing it live. <laughs> like, oh, his voice doesn't go that high. No, I tell no. you, you've, you've never seen Heartbreak until you've seen a baseball stadium full of little girls watching Taylor Swift when she decides to play a Seven Nation Army-inspired cover of um, We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together. And there's just all these little girls being like, We Are Never Ever, because they couldn't sing along. And I was like, I see what you've done here, Tay-Tay. You're challenging yourself as an artist. But these children hate you right now. (laughs) Hate you. That's the equivalent of like when I wrestled the Honky Tonk Man. And instead of doing the full shake, rattle, and roll neckbreaker, he did it where he drops down to his knees. And now he does a version where he just swings you and he stands up the whole time and you fall down. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, that's what I aspire to. Yeah. I aspire to get to that level of dickery where I'm like, no, fuck it, you do it. <laughs> like, but, yeah. but yet, as you age, like you're like, oh, okay, he's right. Like, I get it. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. I'm not, I, I don't know what's going to happen if he gets down there. <laughs> he's yeah. not getting back. Back up. No. So. Impromptu stretcher match. Uh, would you be more sort of starstruck by somebody in wrestling who you've admired for a long time or meeting like your favorite comedian? I have a very like weird relationship with ending up being friends and working with very bizarre celebrities. Mm-hmm. So there's very few that I think will frazzle me. One is perhaps Kermit the Frog. 
Sure. Mm, entirely fair. Yeah. I'm not sure what my emotional reaction is going to be if I ever see uh, oh, that Put it into thing. the universe. It's happening. I, could, yeah, it I, I can make that happen for you. Oh, and God. if you're Everyone in LA. in here is now very excited. Yeah, if, if, uh, uh, if you are ever in LA, at least I recently interviewed the voice of Kermit, Kermit himself, for a oh, piece uh, we did for about the Muppet Babies over at my day job. Uh, I might be able to finesse that for you. That would be outstanding. (laughs) I had a friend who was mid-breakup once, like in the middle of the screaming row, and she was a journalist, and she had to say, we need to put a pin on this because I have to go to work. I have an interview that I cannot reschedule. And the guy was like, the fuck is wrong with you? We're in the middle of, like, what is going on? She's like, I have to go and interview Piggy and Kermit. And she (laughs) apparently just sat crying at Miss Piggy and Kermit for like a straight hour. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) apparently Kermit was very supportive, Piggy not so much. Which I really appreciate. I feel like story. yeah, I feel like Piggy's pretty over it. Yeah. yeah, Piggy, Piggy came to talk about Piggy. She didn't come talk exactly. about your problems. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So I say, don't worry about getting starstruck around Kermit. I say he's a supportive gentleman who's there right. for your emotional needs. And the other one is this is a well, not surprisingly, a deep cut. Um, Ellen Green. As in from uh, Little Shop of Horrors? Yes, she was Audrey. Oh, Audrey, Audrey. yes. 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 Oh, my God, I would lose my shit. I would cry because I was afraid of that as a child. She still sounds like that, by the way. Like, I recently, um, oh, gosh, she did something. I don't know if it was an honors or, like, a Best of Broadway where she sang. And, like, yeah, she still sounds just like that. It's amazing. That song seems to be an experience for her. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. You know? And then, lo and behold, I found out weeks ago, my dear contractually obligated friend, David Arquette, (laughs) actually actually worked with her in uh, Pushing Daisies. He was on a couple episodes of Pushing Daisies. And I'm like, David, you didn't fucking, you didn't say anything. (laughs) Selfish. Selfish. God, how many wrestlers have we had on now who uh, proclaimed proudly their love of musical theater? It's enough for us to start thinking about workshopping something. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it's enough for us to be off, off, off Broadway. Yeah. I mean, Lin-Manuel Miranda has confirmed himself to be a little bit of a wrestling fan. So, I mean. Reach for the fucking stars, yeah, Julian. Let's coming. do this. Yeah. Get on the phone. I'll text him right now. <laughs> I have his phone yeah, number. I, I, don't, I don't want his stamp on this shit. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, then it becomes all about him. Yeah. He yes. plays all the parts and he's putting himself over. And all the rapping. So much rapping. Yes, <laughs> you know? I don't need that. I want it to come from like the deep, dark underworld of indie wrestling. Yeah, that's fair. I want it to be the equivalent of bringing the noise, bringing the funk. Yes. <laughs> The Terry Funk. Bam! Yes, there you go. (laughs) And it came full circle. I'm the worst. (laughs) Did you intend for your wrestling persona to combat a lot of the images of traditional masculinity, or is that just a coincidence of the performance that you were trying to put on? A a lot of it is what's natural in the sense that Tommy Dreamer told me that my gimmick is just me with the volume turned down. <laughs> so I don't think it's terribly far off, but then I the more I like I get obsessed with deconstructing it, I find it so much fun to be non-aggressive. Uh, right. when I wrestle cuz so much of the wrestling is aggressive. I think it's a part of me is just generally bored with wrestling and looking to do new stuff and mm-hmm. also there's the part of me that realizes 
that wrestling is just a, a drag show, except the wrestlers don't seem to be in on the joke. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is entirely fair. That's a fair point. So with them not realizing that they're playing hyper-masculine, I enjoy playing the exact opposite of that. Just to, you know, I don't know, throw people off, I guess. Where do you think wrestling should be headed? Like, what, what would, uh, you know, what would take it to, to another level or, or help it evolve? I feel like the business is is changing, but not in a way where it's like, oh, this is going to be a boom and it's going to be mainstream. I think mm-hmm. um, wrestling companies have just figured out how to get more money and more time out of, generally speaking, the same group of fans, mm. uh, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, everything's niche now. Like, it's not like everything's like really mainstream because so many, you know. The media landscape is fragmented, but that's a podcast for another day. Um, <laughs> but but I, I think if you're going to go, you know, mainstream or really reimagine it, I think, I don't know, put it on HBO and try to film the backstage shit like it's Curb Your Enthusiasm and <laughs> be a little more cinematic. And I think Lucha Underground was headed in that direction. Yeah. Um, I don't think it was the right recipe for that time, obviously. But, I mean, it it was successful for a TV show. I guess it wasn't successful for a wrestling promotion, considering how long wrestling promotions are around. But I love that experiment. And I'm like, I'm kind of like, what is the American version of that? What is the Larry Sanders show version of that? And maybe the mainstream just means, like, you know, glow. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But with actual matches, I don't really know. It's so hard now because, like you say, yeah, everything's so niche. It's so hard to reach a mm-hmm. broad audience because what even is a broad audience now? Right. Because and what does that mean? And there is that show coming up with uh, Stephen Amell. Yes, Heels. Yeah. yeah. Fascinated as to what that's going to show up to be. I've had such a strange because I've done a couple pilots and movies that are are wrestling related, and it's such a struggle with writers and directors and whoever who are not from the business. Yeah. Yeah. And that's obviously with, with everything, they're writers, that's, that's their job and they don't come from there. But if you come from it, there's, it's a totally different experience that I haven't quite seen captured yet. Yeah. I, th- I think you nailed it. The idea of like a Larry Sanders mm-hmm. type show, every mainstream media portrayal of wrestling I, I have, that I've seen, and I've seen a good amount, it, it always feels like not only do they not fully understand it, but it almost feels like there was no attempt to understand it. Mm-hmm. I think there's also that inclination to heighten everything. And it's like, guys, you don't you don't have to touch this. This is uh, already heightened. Like we're at I think we're at the fucking max here. Um, what an embarrassing, you know, display of wanting love of being a professional wrestler is. <laughs> Oh, you are a stand-up comic. Yes. (laughs) You get that deep, deep need. All right. Yes. I'm like, well, that just seems to be what it is. And it's it's very serious, very passionate people fighting over very small stakes. So Mm -hmm. in that sense, like... You know, every weekend I do the show, it is the fucking office. It is it's the Muppet show to really bring it full circle. It's the <laughs> Muppet show on on steroids, sometimes literally, sometimes figuratively. <laughs> sometimes it's just HGH. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. That's nice. fine. You know, Fozzie's forehead got bigger over the last six months. <laughs> no one knows why. Well, if you have any thoughts on what we've discussed so far, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram via the links in our show notes. We'll be back after a break to discuss plenty more. This is Tights and Fights. 
Hello there, ghouls and gals. It is I, April Wolf. I'm here to take you through the twisty, scary, heart-pounding world of genre cinema on the exhilarating program known as Switchblade Sisters. The concept is simple. I invite a female filmmaker on each week, and we discuss their favorite genre film. Listen in closely to hear past guests like The Babadook Director, Jennifer Kent, Winter's Bone Director, Deborah Granick, and so many others every Thursday on MaximumFun.org. Tune in if you dare. <laughs> it's actually a very thought-provoking show that deeply explores the craft and philosophy behind the filmmaking process while also examining film through the lens of the female gaze. So, like, you should listen. Switchblade Sisters. Hello, this is Amy Mann. And I'm Ted Leo. And we have a podcast called The Art of Process. We've been lucky enough over the past year to talk to some of our friends and acquaintances from across the creative spectrum to find out how they actually work. And so I have to write material that makes sense and makes people laugh. I also have to think about what I'm saying to people. If I kick your ass, I'll make you famous. The fight to get LGBTQ representation in the show. Mm -hmm. We weirdly don't know as many musicians as you would expect. I really just became a political speechwriter by accident of realizing that I have accidentally uh, pulled my pants down. <laughs> Listen and subscribe at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcast. It's like if the guinea pig was complicit in helping the scientist. Welcome back to Tights and Fights. I'm Hal Lublin, and I'm joined by... Danielle Radford. And... Lindsay Kelt. RJ, uh, what would you say, as far as wrestling, I'm kind of curious about both. What your biggest goal is in wrestling, and sort of... Well, let's start there. Let's start there. I have, like, a billion questions. Well, it's kind of weird, because everything I've done that was, was great for me is stuff that I have never planned. Right. Um, so I very like, you know, if somebody told me two years ago, hey, you're going to, you know, beat David Arquette in his first match back and then you guys are going to team together as some odd buddy comedy like that was not in my cards as a child. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Nor was it to have a DIY crafting web series on CBC. So like I was not ready for any of that shit. Um, so I'm I'm very much enjoying aggressively not having a plan. Just because it seems to be taking me in better places than what I've planned. And obviously there was like a childhood dream of, you know, we've got to go to WWE and blah, blah, blah. That's kind of like, you know, beaten into you as a kid. And then you're like, I, I don't know, like I get it. And it's fun for some people, but there seems to be a lot more to explore out in the world right now. Yeah. I mean, it, just just from talking to you for the for the time we have so far, it feels to me like a goal of yours is to not indulge but follow your creativity sort of wherever it takes you, which I think is a is a fantastic goal that mm -hmm. is something that allows you to do all the different things that you're doing and and to not sort of put yourself in any one bucket of of what it is you do or don't do. Is that fair? Right. Yes, and I've, that's something I've had to uh, learn because as I get closer to working certain places or working with certain people. I realize I kind of get very um, allergic to being stifled creatively. I did not like that at all. And I would kind of, you know, rather go explore wherever that may lead than be, you know, stuck into one lane. Mm -hmm. 
Sure. And I, who's to say that that who you know who knows? Shane McMahon might call up and say, "Hey, you know that I literally just tweeted about uh, how the WWE Network should have a RJ makes coffee in his underwear tier." <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know who knows because she changes, but but that's not obviously my ultimate goal. Right. Well, and it's also like it's so smart that you're already getting you're setting yourself up with comedy. You're setting yourself up with acting, um, because as we have talked about here and with, uh, you know, we had a long talk about this with RVD, um, you know, after a while, like just bodies are bodies, man. And we're all just like meat stuff with sticks and that shit starts breaking down. So it's good to like have other avenues of uh, ways to be creative and make some money. Yes. I mean, well, yeah. Yeah, I'll not say comedy, so. not comedy. You, you ever see too. you ever see like a physically broken comic and you're like, what the fuck? You ever hear them get off stage and they're like, oh, my knees. And you're like, what <laughs> happened? <laughs> How hard have you been doing comedy? <laughs> you only have to stand up for the 20 minutes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know what fucks people up? I think is is any club that has a stool because you're really hunched over on the stool. Yeah, yeah especially if you're fucking that stool. Yes, that, that is so much. That is hilarious. That, oh, oh my god! Comics never stop doing it. Ah, it's got to be hard on the hips. Just all that humping. Oh, I hope. Yes. I hope they pretend that the mic stand is their dick. I hope they do that. That'd be it's good great encore stuff. If you see a stool as a comic, as a stand-up comic, do you feel compelled to sit on the stool or address the stool in any way? Or fuck it. Or, or fuck, fuck it. it. Yeah. I think that was in an episode of Mindhunter. <laughs> this is one of the questions they asked on the yeah. show. Yeah, This is the what they asked Manson. Stool. That was when I went to catch a rising star. <laughs> I was recently talking about uh, and this is well, whatever, a slight departure, when you're a, a burgeoning kid in the throes of puberty and you find yourself humping a couch. Mm. Mm-hmm. I thought perhaps that's where it comes from, and all these Maybe. male comedians have an affection for any sitting device. <laughs> I wish this was more compact. Oh, that would make this better. This reminds me of my first girlfriend. <laughs> RJ, do you have uh, anything that you have not attempted yet that is something that, that you feel like you want to try your hand at, something that you feel like, oh, this is, this is going to be a great way to express myself creatively. I just haven't found the avenue yet. Um, there's There's a bunch of shit in the vein of the Larry Sanders type wrestling show that we've pitched in various incarnations. Um, that's something where I'm like, yeah, that would be amazing. Um, I, I don't know. I would like to be, uh, now that I'm thinking about it, I would like to just be more comfortable physically while doing stand-up. Now mm. that I'm thinking about sitting on stools and shit, I, I'm <laughs> still nervous enough that I lose all normal motor skills while I'm yeah. on stage. Sure. Like drinking water and shit. I'm like, I can't do that because I'm going to fuck it up. It's going to be really weird. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I call that, what do I do with my hands-itis? Oh, yeah. Yes. That's a thing. Something I am doing that I'm excited for is in October, October 14th, Dalton Castle and I are putting on a full comedy show in Toronto. Ooh, October 14th. That's very yeah. exciting. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, and we've we've kind of gone into it knowing that we don't have a plan at all. And, ne- and then, <laughs> you know, I was excited and be saying, oh, that'll be great. And then the second it was booked, I got this just horrible, dreadful anxiety about the whole thing, <laughs> which hasn't quite shaken off. So I'm I'm looking forward to it and also now looking forward to it being over. <laughs> I do find that that's the best part of any show. Some this this makes me sound like a, a both neurotic and an asshole. So this is a good one. <laughs> oh hell yeah! Um, something I'm still dealing with in stand up is a lot of the times I, I see comics come out and they'll make fun of themselves 
physically off the top, and it kind of gives him license to make fun of anything else after that. Right. Um, I, unfortunately, I, I feel like I'm attractive enough that I don't have that ability. Right. No, no, no <laughs> there's true. There's a, there is a sliding scale because sometimes, like, you'll see someone, ooh, 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 talk about how schlubby they are, and it's like, you're, you're like, you're, you could be an actor. Like, stop. Like, you're right. an actual attractive person. Yes, and I feel like it also narrows the places I'm allowed to go. Um, in terms of talking about, you know, I don't know, other people's appearances. It's like, you know, the same joke coming from you or coming from me means two totally different things. Totally. Right, 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 um, right. So that stuff I'm figuring out. Also, I've been subjected a lot to the woman yelling, take off your shirt. Gross. Oh, no, I don't like this. <laughs> oh, which is hilarious. Which is, you know, it's hilarious in the sense that, like, oh, my God, I'm not used to it. And then... Any women on the show were not used to it being on the other foot like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Trash too. Yay. Yes, which is so nice. <laughs> um, and then I explained to them, like, hey, you know, like, I also wrestle and, like, you could see me in much less clothing, like, tomorrow. Like, you're in the wrong fucking place. Like, the, you know, my ass is going to be on somebody's face. You're really going to enjoy that. <laughs> don't, don't you think, though, just going back to, to the appearance thing, I, I find just as someone – watching that I can handle a person telling like one roast joke about themselves when an entire set is devoted to like self-deprecation I get lost because it's just it, yes it sounds like it's you're reading their live journal or something yeah, yeah it makes me kind of sad you know when you're when you're forced to and this is this is like a second city thing is working to the top of your intelligence right if you take those lower hanging fruits away you're forced to work smarter and you're going to grow as a performer and a comedian and a writer exponentially faster and more profoundly. Right. My favorite thing is, is, and it happens a lot more in uh, a wrestling capacity when uh, you try to play to the top of your intelligence and you realize the wrestling crowd is just not coming with you. Right. Right. Uh, They came for the suck it and they want to see the suck it and then they want to go home. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. I was going to yeah, ask was exactly... who is in wrestling is doing that, which is really because it's the same in books. It's the same in writing. You right. you write to where you are at and you bring everyone with you. And I always think about this is going very left field, but that um, oral history of Frasier where they talked about the writing staff of Frasier. Where they're like, we wrote to the top of where we were and there was, it was like a 2% rule, I think they said. They always assumed that the majority of the audience wouldn't get 2% of the jokes, but as long as the rest of the jokes were so accessible... It didn't matter and it would just add to the show mm-hmm. because it added to its intelligence. And I'm like, yeah, that's what everyone's doing, right? And then it's like, but not in wrestling. Which, first of all, if I can counter, like the last two seasons of Frasier were fucking bullshit. We don't talk about the last two seasons because <laughs> having, I've just completed a rewatch and after, I mean, it's such a cliche, but it's like after Niles and Daphne got together, you just want to do a small cry. Yeah. Uh, yes. because it's it's just, horrible. It falls off a cliff. <laughs> Um, but I've just, yeah, wrestling seems to be the one place where no one has sat down and said, hey, how about we treat this? And I say wrestling in general, I'm broadly speaking about WWE here, mm-hmm. but like they have not sat down and said, how about we write a really smart thing and see if everyone comes along with us? That would be exciting. And I think there's yeah. there's always a way to still, because you, people, they do want the catchphrases. That's why the catchphrases yeah, and work and that's how you sell the t-shirts. for the kids, you know? Yeah. Like, but there are levels. If you've got 18 hours of programming a week, which is, I don't even feel like it's an exaggeration, like maybe yeah. one of your storylines is a smart one. 
I also I also know just just knowing so many people who have written there and like having written shows myself, sometimes the system is not possible for that to even you yeah. know be an option. And sometimes the schedule is so hectic that that's as good as the writing is going to be until they go live. Like yeah. that's you know like. Saturday Night Live, you're like some sketches they don't land, and you're like, "What the fuck is this?" You guys are professional comedians, and then if somebody said to you, "Hey, you know, write five sketches this week," some right. of them are just going to be yeah. shitty. Yeah. Um. So it's it, it, yeah, we'd need like a whole, I think, rewiring for that to be possible. But then sometimes I go, like, I don't know. Sometimes I think stuff is smart, like singing to Joey Ryan's penis and having his penis, you know, <laughs> sing back. I'm like, ooh, this will be. And then sometimes I go out there and, I don't know, I start doing a promo. I usually don't script them anymore. I just have a few bullet points and I, I try to say stuff, maybe make an Ethel Mertz reference. <laughs> and then I'll go, oh, this is not tracking with this crowd at all. And then you realize, ultimately, I guess in wrestling it's different because... It's it's really about making my opponent look good, too. Right, yeah. So I don't want to play to the top of my intelligence and be like, look at how smart I am if it fucks the guy I'm working with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so sense. I have to, unfortunately, if he's an idiot, I'll have to be more than an <laughs> idiot to make him look remotely <laughs> competent. <laughs> yeah, what, how, do you feel like you're, Doing stand-up has changed your promo significantly. I mean, was there a time where you were much more tightly scripted and then it became, well, I know how to, you know, I've, I've done this enough in other venues now that I can bring those skills in here and not have to be so, so leashed. Yes. Well, like the taped promos are different, especially when I started doing them mm-hmm. um, myself, because it's just me talking to a camera and I want them to be as short as possible. So I try to cram in as much stuff as possible and they're very, very fast. And they, they kind of have to be rehearsed in that sense. But then with a live crowd, after a, after a couple times of people interrupting your shit and you realize you interacting with them builds on something better, mm-hmm. you want to make sure you leave space for that. Um, so I, I feel like that's important. And then when I do, if I, if I may plug... Uh, Sunday Please. mornings at 9.30 a.m. Eastern, I make coffee in my underwear live on YouTube. Um, <laughs> and that's me really having, you know, no idea what to talk about. And, and people comment and I talk with them and I basically kind of make bits out of our discussions. And that's something, I, you know, I, I look forward to not having anything to say because ultimately I will find something. Do you, do you improvise? I mean, do you have you taken yes. classes and perform? Because you have, yeah, you definitely have that. Uh... Yeah, a lot, a lot. Um, and I think that's important with the stand up too. Sometimes it's hard to like reconcile the two. Hmm. Yeah, you know, you want to have good material, and then you feel like if you get up there and you just fuck around with the crowd, and if it's a gift and it's nice and whatever, it kind of sucks because you wanted to work on your material that you prepared. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that can be really frustrating. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious. So I I always like to take people's temperatures on this. Uh, the Netflix series, I think you should leave. Have you watched that? Yes, I have. And what, what do you think? Um, I've, I actually just watched it again for like a second viewing. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it I like. I like the first episode is like hits you with some of the best sketches as it should. Yeah. And then I'm I'm really frustrated with the Garfield House sketch. <laughs> I don't think it's funny at all. It had zero I'm still struggling to find 
Right. What is it about that 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 made them want to do it? It's so it's so weird. Garfield is is such a weird choice. But then everything else, um, I love about it. And I thought it was one of those shows where like. I don't know. I like to turn my nose at a lot of shit and be like, ah, this is fucking stupid. Yeah. But then I realized, oh, no, no, it's not that it's stupid. It's it's how stupid it is. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen this, but as a Garfield fan, I'm getting very anxious about the whole thing. <laughs> this will be my afternoon. Yeah, you'll have to watch yes, it. It'll, it only takes, I think, two or two hours maybe to watch all okay. of it. Maybe yeah. less, maybe it's 90 really minutes. Like that and Black Lady Sketch Show are like the two mm. sketch shows that I'm obsessed with right now. I haven't watched any TV in so long. Well, Stupid wrestling. You're writing a book. I'm writing a book. And then you've got wrestling. And then in fairness, I have, I say no TV, but I'm like, except for Dairy Girls, which I've watched a lot of Dairy Girls. I, I don't know recommend. why you need to watch wrestling. I think you should know how it goes by now. <laughs> I'm vaguely familiar with how it seems to be panning out. Um, yeah. But you make an excellent yeah. point, sir. How much do you watch, RJ? How much of it do you consume, or do you just sort of stay aware of what's going on within the industry? Um, a lot. I like to keep up on on my friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, just because, you know, as you should as a fucking friend. I also love watching just old stuff. Old stuff that I can't even find on the network. Um, like there's a, there is this match of uh, on the Merv Griffin show of Merv and Jerry Lewis against Andre the Giant, and I've only seen a clip. I want to see the full segment. Oh wow! Someone has it. Someone out there who is yes. good at the yep. internet, find that for us, please. Yeah, yeah. there's um, well wishes and fake hugs in it for you. <laughs> I'm a big uh, Nick Bockwinkle fan. Oh, sure. He seems to be, there's a perfect example of someone who wrestled to the top of his intelligence. Not, not a yelly guy, not sewing your face, just like a smart, smooth, and always like, he looked good as he aged and someone who I've set as a goal as who I want to look like when I get Mm. older. Nice. Just, yeah. Um, (laughs) guys like that. I'm also obsessed with like, are you familiar with Dave Schultz? Yes. Yes. The guy who slapped Doc, uh, John Stossel. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. His promos are insane, and they almost seem like a very early uh, Steve Austin. Yeah, he uh, he's a really interesting guy. There's yes, it's interesting how wrestling is kind of littered with these guys who who were decently well known in the, in their time and. Mm. Maybe aren't as present to fans who are newer, yeah. But have influence, and you can see flavors of of what they. I have a lot of flavors of deli- you know what I need to have lunch. Uh, <laughs> <You're hungry. laughs> you can see bit, like about those cheese with. You like, can sort of see their influence throughout uh, other maybe bigger wrestlers who came yes, after them, which is similarly seems to be what I'm a, a kind of obsessed with right now um, regarding wrestling. Because there seems to be just a lot of tropes and things that people don't question, and it's very funny that they don't. What are uh, give give us some examples? Uh, well, currently I'm in a feud in Buffalo with Gregory Iron, and we were a tag team, and we lost a couple matches, and we don't want to feud with each other. But once a tag team loses a couple matches, they have to feud. Oh, yep. uh, <laughs> yeah. These are the rules of wrestling. So <laughs> I, I come out there and I warm up the crowd as if I was a sitcom warm-up guy. And I say, yeah. listen, guys, as you know, we're going to be in a big feud. We don't really like this, but we need your help. Um, let's react like this is a really big deal. Uh, <laughs> And they go along with it. It's on, it's on my YouTube. We had a giant kiss-off spot. <laughs> uh, 
where we showed each other affection in the most aggressive way. And they were there for it. It's, it's at the end of the day, if it's comedy or if it's wrestling, it seems like people just want to have fun. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure it helps that you're cueing them so that they know what, you know, like, I, th- I think when you go to a wrestling show, you're so sort of queued up to have very specific reactions yeah. to everything. Right. You know when you're supposed to chant holy shit or fight yeah. forever or boo right. or cheer. Yeah. So to actually set up that expectation, like, me as an audience member, yeah. I would be really excited and happy to be in on the joke with you. And that's that brings them that brings you up to the to the top of your intelligence really, really well. And there's nothing a wrestling fan wants more than to feel like we're being let in on it. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. And they they really make it. Because if they were silent, it would just be two men kissing. Um, <laughs> but I I always say like wrestling to is <laughs> um wrestling is this weird space where the fourth wall includes the audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there, it's it's like going to a fucking medieval fair. Yeah, it's like yes. this is what I always think. Is like in England, I, it's not such a big thing here. I'm sure some of some of our listeners will know, and some of you guys might know. But um, we grew up when you grow up in England at Christmas time, you go to pantomimes and you watch this hugely. It's just, I mean, it's very child friendly, but it's very interactive theatrical performance. Of it's usually a fairy tale, so it will be Cinderella or Snow White. And um, it's all things are done certain ways every performance. Like the principal boy is always a girl. The Prince Charming is always played by a woman. And then the evil stepmother will be played by a male comedian. Mm. And it's done all over the country. Every British child went to a pantomime. And you're always part of it. So there's always part where you have to shout, she's behind you because the bad guy is behind you. Sure, and it's right. like... And I just think that's when wrestling is done well. And like you said, what you're doing by cueing everyone, breaking, making them be part of it. Yeah. That's when wrestling is amazing. Because it says we're all in this and we're all doing this together and leave everything else behind for a moment. Yeah. Um, except when the wrestlers get too violent and you're like, I don't think I should be cheering for this anymore. Yeah. What is that? This is very I mean, awkward. You guys haven't given me any cues at all. No, exactly. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, I, like we, we talk about this quite a lot with all there's been sort of a lot more prominent hardcore matches, I feel like, recently. Um, just it's getting a bit of a spotlight, especially through AEW. And I'm like, I don't want to boo or cheer thumbtacks taped into a mouth. I'm like, I don't feel like I'm part of this anymore. Now I feel right. like I'm just going... That looks uncomfortable. Give him pizza. Yeah. Thumbtack. This is something very intimate between two people. Yes. And I don't know if I'm supposed to be here for yeah. this. And it's like they yes. should have a nonverbal safe word. And I don't feel like I should be here. Well, I always say I always say that, that the equivalent would kind of be like if a magician came out and actually sawed his assistant in half. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, yeah. where is the trick here? That's not yeah. really what I wanted to say. No. Yeah. I want to suspend my disbelief. I want to buy in. I want to be worked. I want to go home feeling exalted and like I just had this huge cathartic release of being part of something joyous with someone else who is performing a thing they loved and not just getting the shit kicked out of them with a fluorescent tube. Like I said, that's why I'm like not super into MMA. Like I like I I like the idea that it's two people in the ring who are taking care of each other and doing Mm. something awesome that they love and not two people in the ring who are trying to beat the shit out of each other for money. Yeah, I mean, you don't don't want to see two improvisers actually try to insult each other. Right. (laughs) Or try to mix whatever. That would be very painful. Yeah, I want to go to a show and just see them mix whatever's in that fucking bowl that they all have in their hands. (laughs) We all do it. We all step out there and start mixing something. What the fuck are you making? I mean, it's usually, I think, a cake. Yeah, Yeah. that seems to make sense. If there's an anniversary happening, it's like, honey, what are you doing? And the husband comes up from behind. 
Yep. Gives her a big hug. That's a good start. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We assume it's a cake, but we, it never gets baked. Sometime I wanted, I want to see an improviser step out, start mixing a cake in a bowl, and then for for an hour and a half, <laughs> the cake. You, you do that. You put everything in. Then you mix your icing. You wait. You have to cool the cake. Get it out of the pan. I just want to see all of that, and then the rest of the cast come out at the end and say, "Thank you. We're the jolly funnies." <laughs> I will pay you American money to just interrupt whatever is happening in the show an hour and a half later if you just have like a ding and you come on stage and take your cake out of the oven. Oh, I'll I, pay yep. you, buddy. I want to see someone develop an emotional relationship with the stool first. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> take a girl out to dinner. Yeah. yeah. What are your hopes and dreams, stool? Where do at you least see tell it, it looks years? pretty. I mean, come yeah. on. At least get a name. <laughs> For God's sakes. I'm curious... For the wrestling industry, as stuff like AEW kind of rises up and they get their television deal, NXT becomes a network show. Are there effects? Is there sort of a, a shockwave that's gone through the independent scene as a result of that? Or or has it not really had much of an effect? I think the, the real worst effect that wrestling on TV has had is that every time they book a major angle on TV, indies will try to do the shittiest replica of it possible. <laughs> um, everybody has a fucking money in the bank deal now mm-hmm. of like eight guys. And it's like, you just cash in whenever you want. It's like, shit, where, where'd you get that idea? Um, <laughs> so now the the next thing is, of course, the 24-7 title, which I'm sure people will start pushing their own versions. And it's really, you know, whatever. I don't want to be a raw tribute act. Yeah. <laughs> no, I genuinely can't think of anything more upsetting Uh, just doing a bunch of covers of stuff you saw the night before yeah 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 i don't know the ripple effect is like oh there'll be you know obviously more people getting signed or more people getting money and i we all used to joke how many of us would have had jobs if wcw was still around right because they just had like a thousand people under contract Mm -hmm. yeah also like it's it's weird it's like you know you know what do you want from it do you want to just be signed do you want to make money do you want to be a star like there's a bunch of different ways to do that and you know with every single place it seems that there are people who are happy to sign and there are people who are saying no to contracts and who are turning stuff down signing other places so there's more. It's it's. There's going to be different fits for everybody. Hmm. I'm I'm curious be, before we we wrap. You things don't up. you don't have to keep stating. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm so glad you said that because uh, you don't have to be in the booth later. So. I'm so I'm a guest. curious. I'm a guest on the show. You should be. Listen, I, look. It, that's not always how it shakes out, RJ. Let's be honest. He just really just would be like glad you to that know you're, that he definitely is. I find you entertaining, RJ. Very well. Um, before order, we go, order. <laughs> Be a good boy. Good boy. Please. I'm curious, RJ. No. Uh, <laughs> before before we we get going here, I always like to ask people in the industry, specifically wrestlers, because of the way the the quote unquote smart fan that has sort of evolved over the last twenty years. Those of us who watch feel like we know a hell of a lot more than we actually do. So I'd like to ask you, what is one thing that you wish fans of wrestling understood? <clears throat> Either something that they that they believe that just isn't true or something they don't even think of. Oh, um, I love the as as someone who recently fought online with Jim Cornette. Um, 
I, I, I really enjoy the fan sticking up for me, trying to tell other people how real it is and how hurt I am. Um, I just want to be like, like, can you just, can you just shut the fuck up? Please? <laughs> like it's a show. It's very rough. Um, but that's not the goal. Um, please don't tell me it's a sport while I'm doing it, telling you it's not a sport. Um, it's just, it's very, very bizarre how closely these people have connected to the idea that this is real or has, I guess, an air of legitimacy. It's, it's the weirdest thing in the world. Um, you know, people, fans will call me a play wrestler as if all wrestlers aren't play wrestlers, as if actual <laughs> amateur Olympic wrestling doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, we have to all realize collectively we are a mockery of something that actually legitimately exists. Uh, we are a satire of sports. That obviously means we can be athletic. Just like the same way political comedy can make, you know, excellent political points. That doesn't mean it's real politics. It's still under the umbrella of comedy. Um, and that's that's generally what we're, we're closest to. Uh, so everyone needs to just calm the fuck down. Yeah. I was going to ask you where you fall on the uh, ongoing Twitter debate of wrestlers versus performance artists. But I feel like you maybe just answered that. Well, there's no, I, there's just no debate. I'm sorry. There's not, there's no a way there's, it's not a legitimate competition. I don't care how hard I hurt myself. Um, you know, again, a <laughs> magician, like, try not yes. to, yeah. um, if a magician saws his assistant in half, that doesn't necessarily make him a real magician. <laughs> I didn't it's not really the way do that magic. shit works. Yeah. Yes. My dad has done it. He tells people, like, outside people will ask, like, so was it fake? I'm like, yes, it's a show. It's just like a violent fourth grade play. And then my dad will be like, but sometimes he really gets hit. And I'm like, you're just making me sound like a mongrel. <laughs> Please. Right, sometimes the Cirque du Soleil people break a leg, too, you know? Yeah. yeah. Let's not. No one is yelling that the circus is real. Except, uh. You know, when that all that elephant shit happened. But besides... Yeah. <laughs> and then they besides got rid of the, the elephants gross... and everything was better forever. Yeah. Right? We're fine. Now we just have, I don't know, a bunch of acrobats who are on a diet of cigarettes and powdered donuts. It's totally fine. <laughs> that sounds delicious. Fantastic. RJ City, thank you so much for coming on to Tights and Fights. This was a pleasure. Please, will you come back? Can I get a... a... How's curious to know if I'm you'd curious. like to come back to the show? I'm curious. Would you come back I've sometime? Piqued your interest? I will. Yes, <laughs> I will. I just want to make sure there's been appropriate enough space in between the episodes. Okay, so next you know, week. Don't call me if Lanny Poffo cancels next week. <laughs> um, we need somebody to write those poems and throw Frisbees at us, man. He don't watches Coffee and Underwear, by the way. I see him sign on, and then he never comments. Oh, he likes Lurka. to watch. He's a that's it. Yeah, He's a genius. <laughs> that's right. He sure is. <laughs> uh, tell us, where can people keep up with you? Where should they be going online? Where can they? Uh, what is the YouTube channel where they can watch you making coffee in your underwear? Uh, YouTube.com slash RJ City loves you because some scumbag has slash RJ City. Oh. I don't know. They haven't posted in eight years. I've tried to report them, but they're not, you know, it's not like they're putting out Nazi porn or anything. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) They're just sitting on it hoping that you pay them. Yeah. Yes. Otherwise, just Google me and then follow what you like and don't follow what you don't. I'm going to make it very easy on people. Fantastic. That does it for this episode of Tights and Fights. This week, your hosts were Lindsay Kelk and Danielle Radford, along with me, Hal Lublin. 
go listen to my other podcasts that I also do. We got this with Mark and Hal and Good Morning Night Vale. Find the links for that. Give me a follow. Why don't you? At Hal Lublin. Everywhere social media exists. That is where you'll find me. Danielle Radford. Yes, that's Attending the Emmys. Uh, the Creative Arts Emmys. I don't want people They're to... still the Emmys. That's they the are... Emmys. You are Daniel Radford Some of us aren't Emmys. going to the Emmys. I insist you change your Twitter bio yeah. immediately the to Emmys Daniel the Radford at the Emmys. Are you dressing up? I am. You're I got... going to the fucking Emmys. I got my dress. Uh, it, it's slinky. Um, yep. I tried. It's made of slinkies. Yes, I tried to uh, get some shoes, but they hurt my back. So I think I'm gonna be that nerd that wears um, an evening gown no, or a cocktail dress best. and sneakers. Yeah, yeah sexy dress that's and combo. That's a badass look. Yeah. That's a badass look. Yeah. L K. That's me. W T F is going on. Who the fuck knows? Uh, I have books. I am writing them. I've lost my mind because that's all I do now is write books. Uh, no, I'm writing a new book, but the book you can buy right now is I Heart Hawaii. That's out. Please buy it. Please. It would be so nice. It would mean so much to me. Um, or feel free to pick up Cinders and Sparks, which was written for children, but adults keep telling me they've enjoyed it too. Yeah. Who doesn't like that? Buy them both. Or buy Why them both. Why buy one? Yeah, there's no limit on this shit. Look, if you, re- if you really want to prove that you love Lindsay, <laughs> you will buy not one, but both of these books. And then you will read them and then tell somebody about them. They'll be like, can I borrow yours? And you'll go, no. 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 Get Christmas, your own. Christmases are coming. Maybe buy a few. I don't know. God, yeah. What was that old commercial? No, my brother. You got to get your own. <laughs> <laughs> what is that I feel from? like I can't get away with saying that exactly verbatim. But I mean, I feel like we could workshop something. <laughs> we can work it out. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll figure out the full Donnie version of that. <laughs> Our producer is one and in fantasy football, Julian Burrell. Julian, Julian looks yoked today. Am I? I'm not even kidding around. <laughs> look extra yoked. We're we're talking down in the lobby, waiting for Danielle to arrive, and I'm like, this dude is broad. Yeah, look I'm at I'm sorry traps. to tell you that now. I was just traps. admiring your hard work. It was an extra pump from yesterday. How many how many Eagles do you have on your team? Um, I think I had their defense, which was a bad move on my part. Well, that's. Fuck off. Your fantasy team sucks. I'm sorry. Senior <laughs> producer at Maximum Fun is Laura Swisher. Mike Eagle is the voice behind our theme music, so we're putting him over for that. Keep up with us all week long on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Links to all of those are in our show notes, along with all of the delicious RJ City links that I'm so curious about. If you love what we do, remember to hit those five stars on Apple Podcasts and share us with all your friends. Thank you so much to the Maximum Fun members who make this show possible with their recurring monthly contributions. And we're only several months away from the next drive, so start saving up and planning to support this show you love so very much, and we love you too. We'll be back next week for even more, you guessed it, wrestling. Yay! Uh, let's just uh, record a quick thing where we can, um, for just when we were coming back from break, and I'll insert it later. So just, um, how just give us a welcome back and do the whole rounds. And uh, RJ, we'll, uh, we'll have you say your name after Lindsay, and that'll be the last thing we'll do. Yes. Welcome back to Tights and Fights. I'm Hal Lublin, and I'm joined by... Danielle Radford. And... Lindsay Kelt. And... RJ City, and I'm very curious to continue speaking to all of you. <laughs> MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported